Hi, One Goal community. It's Elaine Boyd, Pelotonia's Event and Volunteer Operations Coordinator. Since 2008, Pelotonia has raised over $236 million for innovative cancer research. And thanks to our partners, 100% of those funds have gone directly to research at the James at Ohio State. Together, we will see an end to cancer. To get involved in our one goal, visit pelotonia.org. That's pelotonia.org, or click on the link in the episode notes. This podcast is powered by Pelotonia. To learn more about our goal 10 cancer, visit pelotonia.org or see the link in the show notes. After I got done with treatment, I really decided that I wanted to, to dedicate my life to doing something with my skill set to make a difference. You don't have to be a doctor to impact people's lives, particularly around health. You know, you can be a donor, you know, to Pelotonia. And by doing so, be at the bedside with me, you know, or be in the research lab with someone who's coming up with novel immunotherapy. Welcome to One Goal, a podcast from Pelotonia. We're a community dedicated to funding innovative cancer research through a three-day experience of cycling and volunteering. I'm your host and Chief Operating Officer of Pelotonia, Joe Apgar. Your journey with us to the finish line begins now. Pelotonia is powered by an amazing community, and it's through research that we will see an end to cancer. We want to thank our major funding partners, the American Electric Power Foundation, Huntington, the L Brands Foundation, and Peggy and Richard Santulli. He was a healthy and active 27-year-old, but just felt off. The symptoms worsened and became more concerning. So this young, active cyclist went to have a physical, which led to an important procedure. As the anesthesia was wearing off, he was given his diagnosis and a phone. He typed out three life-changing words and hit send. A new and challenging chapter was beginning for Aaron Conley, but it was getting him closer to a renewed sense of purpose and direction. While this path for Aaron certainly had its bumps and sharp turns, it also yielded unexpected and inspiring results, like a friendship with Dr. Daryl Gray after meeting on a cancer discussion panel. Dr. Gray and Aaron both joined us for this podcast to share their story and a common passion for health equity. We'll start with Aaron in this episode titled, Equity Through Action. So I am a stage three colon cancer survivor. I was diagnosed in 2013 and have been riding Pelotonia ever since from 2014 up until present day. And I work at Vanderbilt, the School of Medicine Basic Sciences. And a big goal of mine is to really push forward innovative research that can help patients and change uh, outcomes. And uh, Dr. Daryl Gray, uh, welcome to the podcast. I'd love for you to give the audience a little bit of background um, on yourself. Uh, thank you. I, I can't. It's hard to follow Aaron, uh, but I'll say that um, I'm a man of faith, uh, a father, a husband of three children, and uh, and yes, a physician and researcher. I work at uh, the Ohio State University and. I serve multiple roles at the Medical Center and the Comprehensive Cancer Center, where I focus a lot around on health equity. Um, and uh, one of my focus areas within that has been around colorectal cancer. So it's truly an honor to be here uh, on the Pelotonio podcast. So thank you. Well, let's start, you know, your your backgrounds and stories intersect, uh, you know, in a lot of different ways. But let's start with 
Aaron, you know, your your story and you mentioned you're a cancer survivor and give us some background on that experience, that journey for you. I know it, it you know, it really shaped a lot of the things in your life and, and how you live your life today. So we'd love to hear hear that story from your your point of view. Yeah, no, I'd be happy to talk about that. So in 2013, I just started feeling tired and I had actually been cycling since 2004. And it was through cycling that I started feeling off. I couldn't ride as hard as I was usually capable of. My vision started to get blurry. I started to have like chest palpitations. I thought I had a heart issue. So I finally went in to get a physical and through a myriad of tests, figured out that my iron levels were severely low and my hemoglobin was less than half of how much blood you should have in your body um, at the time. Later on, when I was working at Ohio State, one of the physicians told me if that would have happened all at one time, I would have been dead. Through tests, I ended up going to get a colonoscopy. And when I got a colonoscopy, I was diagnosed with cancer. The tragically humorous story of that day is that when I was getting diagnosed with cancer, my house was broken into. I, I remember, I remember I, the story, yeah. I went home after getting diagnosed with cancer. Um, the other funny part was they gave me my phone while I was still coming out of the anesthesia and I texted my partner at the time, I have cancer and that's it. And then I passed out. But yeah, I went home window was like busted everything was thrown my camera was stolen but they didn't take my bikes so i knew there was a positive aspect to the trajectory of of this next journey i went through a uh, major surgery they took out eight inches of my colon and a fist-sized tumor that was bleeding and that's how i was losing blood and 32 lymph nodes five of which were cancerous so i was at stage three um, after recovering just for a little bit, I went into six months of chemo and that was every two weeks for about 49 hours. It was a regimen called Folfox and it was a drug named 5-FU, uh, which is short for foxyurethane or something like that. But I don't know why they named it that. It's really, it's really crazy. Uh, it's much like the prep for a colonoscopy that's called uh, Go Lightly. Uh, don't know why they named it that either. Um, but yeah, went went through surgery and then chemo was was really tough. Um, and cycling and endurance sports really helped me get through that. But yeah, that you said 40, 49 hours of chemo. Yeah, I'm sorry, yeah, were you patient or did you have you know, a pack that you took home? Yeah, it was it was an interesting experience. I would go into the infusion center for a three hour uh, infusion of one of the drugs, and then I would get connected to a home pump and then carry that around for the next 46 hours um, after that. I think, yeah, one of the hardest things of going through cancer generally is I feel like, especially as a young adult, you lose the trust you had in your body and you lose that facade that you have in young adulthood that mortality doesn't impact your life and that dissipating so rapidly is really a shock to the system as well as all the physical aspects of that yeah um how old were you when you were going i was through 27 this? you're 27 when, when i was diagnosed um 
And yeah, so made it through chemo, got through all the rounds um, of chemo, tried everything possible during chemo. I did acupuncture, massage, guided meditation, therapy, um, everything and anything that I could do to try to, to help alleviate some of the, the struggle of that. But the funny thing is when you're going through this chemo and uh, your interventions that are taking place to, to hopefully heal you, you have such a direct goal, you know, like get to this next chemo session, get through this, get through this. And really once it's over is when the real struggle for survivorship starts, I would say, because then all the emotional trauma and baggage and questions about the future and if you'll live and the anxiety that comes with anything you feel in your body and going to get checkups every few months and the financial implications of going through cancer as a young adult um, all those things really start to hit and then it's impact on your relationships it's impact on your kind of thoughts of and planning for long-term life all those things start to come together after afterwards but it was honestly through Pelotonia that I found such a community of people and gained experiences that I never would have had before. Um, and it's such a, a celebration of survivorship in a community that I connected with other survivors and was able to really delve into those issues of mental health and of, of what do you do to, to really come out of this and not live your life in fear. Appreciate you sharing that. I mean, I think, you know, you, you hit on something really important, which is post-treatment, sort of everything that sort of comes with a cancer diagnosis and being young and financial implications and, you know, ghost pains and always yeah. thinking every every headache's probably going to lead you to the hospital and, yeah. and things like that. I want to pause and sort of pivot to you, Dr. Gray, and, you know, you see the other side of this so often and you have had to deliver that news to people and you know i'm curious i think first what got you into this uh you know this role that you're in what got you interested in medicine and helping people and you know why did you decide to pursue this as a career path to begin with i got interested in medicine a career in medicine via my father actually so my father uh, practiced internal medicine in inner city baltimore Baltimore, Maryland, that is. And as a young man, as a young boy, really, just growing up and, and kind of shadowing him. And that, those were the times where I could follow him into the office and see, you know, what he did on a daily basis, but also to see even outside of the office, the impact he had on people's lives, both in times of, of sickness, right? But, but in times of wellness and the rapport and relationships he was able to build with people from all, literally all walks of life. Um, that had a tremendous impact on me. And, you know, mostly I was attracted to that piece, the relationships he was he was able to foster and sustain. And then it kind of evolved over time to a love for the sciences and um, biology and um, medicine specifically. And so, you know, my career path from college to medical school and, and thereafter to residency fellowship, et cetera, has kind of taken me along this journey of, 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 of healthcare and allowed me to leverage my initial passion around relationships and communication um, and, and kind of fuse that synergistically with my, my passion for the sciences. It's also allowed me to um, 
really focus my energies around trying to address issues that unfortunately disproportionately impact people and groups uh, from populations that are made vulnerable by systemic inequities. Um, we often refer to disparities, uh, disparities being differences in outcomes between groups. And it doesn't have to be based on race, ethnicity. It's common to do that. So you may hear of like a black-white disparity in cancer, for example, such as in colorectal sure. cancer. Uh, but it can be age. It can be, you know, disability. It can be religion. I've really focused my career on um really trying to make sure that I'm a voice in advocating for those who aren't necessarily at the tables and the boardrooms that I'm at, uh, who don't necessarily get the resources that they need to achieve health equity, which is, you know, achieve, us achieving health equity means that we are ensuring that everyone has a fair and just opportunity to be as healthy as possible. One really interesting thing is, um, you know, I, I think people approach medicine and, and getting into your line of work from all different angles and for all different reasons. You know, you, your interest started and you really approached this work to help people first, you know, and then the science and, you know, biology and, and those interests sort of followed. But, um, you know, I think that's one of the sort of paths where you and Aaron cross, because Aaron's in the same boat and I'm, I'm sort of speaking for him and would love to hear his perspective on this too. But, you know, Aaron went through this diagnosis and is now really doing his part for the medical world with the skills he has to help people. And I think, you know, one of the things I take from it and I take from the work that we do is you don't have to be a doctor to help people sort of, you know, in, in this line of work. And there's, there's thousands and thousands of different things you can do. Um, but it is a very common trait among people sort of that our doctors are in this sort of world of supporting the the scientific enterprise uh, yeah. that people approach it because they want to help that's so and good i want to hear aaron's perspective I, I i just have to say based on what you just said i want to emphasize like you you made such a statement that i don't want people to lose that that you don't have to be a doctor to impact people's lives to you know uh, impact particularly around health you know you can be a donor you know to pelotonia and by doing so, be at the bedside with me, you know, or be in the research lab with someone who's coming up with novel immunotherapy, right? Just by being a donor, you know, you could be doing what Aaron's doing. And, and there's so many other ways. You don't have to be the physician in the white coat. Yeah. Yeah, no, most definitely. So when I was diagnosed, I was working for a nonprofit that did food access and food education uh, for underserved populations in Columbus. And when I was diagnosed, I was so lucky to get to participate in a Pelotonia funded statewide study uh, around Lynch syndrome and early onset colon cancer. And through that experience, I got so interested in how does research impact the outcomes and trajectories of patients. And if you have Lynch syndrome, your lifetime risk of colon cancer goes drastically up from I, I'll let Daryl talk about the exact percentages, but I think it's roughly around 6% for a regular kind of individual, and it could go up to 50 to 80% if you have Lynch syndrome. And that just was so interesting to be a part of. And after I got done with treatment, I really decided that I wanted to, to dedicate my life to doing something with my skill set to make a difference. And 
I was a grant writer uh, at the time, and I found a position working in foundation relations at Ohio State and worked with the Cancer Center to help uh, clinicians and researchers find funds to push forward their innovative studies. And it was really exciting. And I do a similar thing. I did a similar thing at Vanderbilt, and now I work in external affairs and partnerships for the School of Medicine Basic Sciences, which is focused on foundational discovery to impact human health. I would be interested in hearing from, from you, Daryl, about if someone's interested in both understanding disparities more, especially how COVID is exacerbating those disparities right now, what can people do as part of the community to help eliminate disparities? I think number one, people just need to start asking questions. Be curious, be curious. I, I think that's where it starts. It, it's, you know, um, you know, try to step out of the privilege that many of us have and be curious. Um, you know, start conversations within your networks, whether it's your faith group, organization, church, where there's someone who lives differently or looks differently than you, engage in conversation, be curious. Um, but then once you know, not only share that information with other people, whether it's family members, coworkers, friends, etc., but then take actions, right? So it's good, you know, we have to move beyond symbolism. And the action piece can be look can look different for people. Perhaps for some it's learning and reading more and engaging with people more. For others, maybe others are in a position to, to donate and to donate to, to causes and um, to garner other donors around critical issues, right? And to tell them why it's important that they be engaged. Perhaps they're corporation or organization owners that are trying to, who are struggling with the thought of, well, how do I engage in this discussion um, with my employees who are impacted by things like this? Bring in talent to have those conversations, help mediate those conversations amongst your employees and figure out how you can support them. So there's numerous ways. So I, I greatly appreciate that question, Aaron. There's also a bit of a role of society and pop culture that I think can make things and highlight things uh, to become more important sort of at certain times. And, you know, I think as I was reflecting on Chadwick Boseman, you know, what are the things that cross your mind when you when you see, you know, a celebrity or a person of prominence in our society going through this? I think for me, it was it was my similar experience that I did not want to make my my cancer journey public outside of my close work family that needed to know and my family and closest friends, because going through cancer is traumatic. Just one thinking through the potential of your own death and then going through treatments that often have toxicity and are, are very difficult to go through. So at that point, you are at your emotional edge of what you can deal with. I can't imagine for someone like Chadwick Boseman, how many people would want to engage with him around his cancer journey while going through treatment, as well as who knows the potential impact that could have on his, his career at that time. And I can't speak to any of that, but for me, I just knew I was not emotionally available enough to handle those types of interactions. Yeah, and it's, I think too, you know, you look at someone like Chadwick, who's like, you know, literally, you know, he was, he was playing a superhero, right? As Black Panther, and you think about his roles and 
Jackie Robinson as, as Thurgood Marshall and the list goes on. And these are kind of, you know, uh, over the top characters and, you know, he embodied them and to see a superhero go down, you know, yeah. it's, it's kind of, you know, it's traumatic. And, you know, I can't imagine what it was like for, you know, his family, you know, hopefully it is, you know, brings greater attention to the need for if you're young, you know, and, and maybe you're not quite at screening age, even at 45, right? So the United States Preventive Services Task Force just recently issued a new draft recommendation for, um, to start screening at age 45, as opposed to age 50. Um, and, you know, perhaps there's some young individual listening to this, uh, that's like, okay, well, I still have some time, but who is experiencing blood rectum, right? Or just knows that something is not right with their body. Don't ignore that. It's important that, you know, we feel so resilient as, as young folks, um, that we can easily try to ignore, um, or put that down lower on our priority list as far as um, seeking medical attention in regards to symptoms. But it's so important. Do not ignore that. Make sure that you seek professional help and make sure that, that professional help you seek is, is just as eager to get attention to that um, issue or symptom as you are um, and is vigilant about investigating it. And, and so that's important because, yes, family history is one piece, right? But many cancers are sporadic, meaning they, there is no clear genetic link to them. Um, and so if you are having a symptom, don't ignore it just because mom, dad, brother, sister did not have colon cancer. And a colonoscopy is not anything to be afraid of. It's, it's not a harsh procedure. It's not something that uh, causes pain. The, the prep really isn't that bad if you treat it like a cleanse and forget what a fart feels like uh, after about an hour of drinking it. <laughs> um, like it's, it's, it's really... Being proactive and being your own advocate for your own health is something that we don't do as well in our country, I feel like, and we really need to, to take that seriously in our individual lives. I think it's always great when you can bring a little humor into any conversation around a colonoscopy. Aaron always does that really well. Um, but, you know, I've heard, and I, I've never personally had one myself, but I hear people talk about them. I feel like there's a lot of misconceptions around sort of uh, colonoscopy specifically, but just some certain cancer screenings generally. And what do you say to, to people who, you know, they have the access, they, you know, have the social network, but, you know, they're the thing that's standing in the way of them getting a, a diagnosis or a checkup is, yeah. is misconceptions that it's uncomfortable. It's going to be awkward. It's, you know, I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I just don't want to do it. I mean, what do you say? You can approach it from different ways. One, you know, some people, you know, may be embarrassed by the thought of having, you know, a colonoscopy or another form of screening test. And, you know, I share with folks, you know, who wants to die of embarrassment, right? Um, you know, so, so you know, is, it, is, it, is your life worth that embarrassment? You know, or, or you know, take, take it a step further, you know, if, particularly if, they're one who has family or kids. Um, you know, this isn't just about you, the individual, right? You, you're making this decision for your family uh, because certainly if we find policy, we can take them out. The cancer is detected early, we can likely cure it, you know? And 
it's also important that your kids understand what their risk is for developing polyps or, or cancer. So it's it's not always just about the individual and trying to help, you know, to resonate with them that, that that's, you know, that's what's important too. I'm interested in Aaron's perspective too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the the unknown is always scary. Like I was definitely nervous before my first colonoscopy, nervous to do the prep. But the funny thing about human experience is usually that that anxiety that you build up is worse than much worse than the actual experience. And it's just getting over that initial hump. And yeah, I definitely was like thinking, well, I'd be embarrassed about going in. And then I was like, these doctors see a lot of butts. I mean, they... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a lot of butts. It's it's not going to be anything for them. Uh, but yeah, no, I just, I, I feel like with the prep, you just really have to think of it as a cleanse and really go into it with that mindset. I find that uh, when you drink the prep, I, I suck on a lemon and spit out the lemon juice afterwards because the taste can be off-putting. Um, and you just really have to follow the guidance and what foods you're eating beforehand and the fasting and just really stay hydrated. That's really the key state, very hydrated and it, it will go, it will go smooth. Yeah. And it's not, you know, we talk a lot about colonoscopy and it's kind of the gold standard for caloric to catch screening, but you know, there are other tests that, that, that people can talk with their doctor about such as stool-based testing or CT colonography. Importantly, though, if, if any of those tests are positive or abnormal, the next step that they is, is recommended to undergo is the colonoscopy. So having that in mind uh, as well. And as Aaron said, you know, we, we do our best to make sure that it is a very pleasant experience, uh, particularly the procedure itself and um, making sure that people are comfortable. Um, in many, many cases sleep during the procedure. And um, most people wake up wondering if we ever started. And uh, so they have a kind of pleasant and forgettable experience, if you will. <laughs> so um, it's, it's not like Aaron uh, was alluding to. It's not um, something that people should be traumatized by. Yeah. So I want to end by asking you both the same question. And it's sort of on, uh, you've, you've both participated in, in Palatania in different ways and uh, for different amounts of time. Aaron, obviously you are, uh, you're usually one of the first to finish uh, the ride um, and, and obviously have a deep passion for cycling and would love to hear what each of your sort of favorite moments are of Pelotonia and when you see the logo and when you hear the word Pelotonia like what do you think about? Yeah for, for me I mean Pelotonia has become such an annual celebration of my own survivorship as well as uh, remembering those who I've known that have been lost to cancer and the continuing fight to to build better outcomes. So hopefully there aren't these types of experiences that people have in the future, whether that's really traumatic treatments like chemo um, or, or actually passing away from cancer and really reaching towards that goal of curing cancer. Um, I feel like some memories that I have, like I always see this image in my head of this kid who was on the side of the road, my first Pelotonia, he had a huge stack of eight and a half by 11 paper just stacked up in this huge Sharpie. And I think like was writing something furiously when I was coming up and he held it up and it was a big, just cancer, just said cancer. And then he ripped it up emphatically and threw it in the air. And then he went back to the the big like stack of eight and a half by 11 paper. And you just see stuff like that, like from the community supporting the event. Um, 
So it's, it's just such a engaging and uh, exuberant atmosphere of working together towards that one goal of ending cancer. Yeah, that's awesome. I think for me, you know, Pelotonia really is a community and it's awesome that it gets together, you know, patients, survivors, their families, their friends, physicians, researchers, all in kind of behind one effort. And it really goes back to what we were talking about earlier about how everybody has, you know, a role to play and everybody can contribute, you know, by either rioting and raising money or, you know, a great um, bringing greater attention to it. So I think that that's extremely powerful. And that's how I got to, to meet friends like Doug Allman and, and, and Aaron, obviously. You know, regardless of what distance you go, you know, there's usually a, um, a crowd welcoming you at the finish line. And they have these cowbells and people are screaming and balloons and, you know, so it's a lot of fanfare and it's just so exciting. Uh, but when you come through that kind of finish line and you go to your the person or people who are supporting you, uh, that's an incredibly um, meaningful moment. And for me, it was when I saw my kids there and they're kind of, yay, daddy, and holding a sign that they had made. And, you know, it's like, you know, it's in part illegible and colors everywhere and <laughs> glitter and, you know, but it's, you know, it's like, it's amazing. So, so yeah. You're the only one who can read it. You have like the, the dad deciphering uh, <laughs> lens. You know exactly what it says. That's a really important point, though, around Peltonia is that there's, there's so many different distances to do and not one's greater than another. And it's all about your personal journey. And you could be a survivor like me that just finished chemo and trying to just get back into riding and finishing like I did and feeling just, wow, I am alive and my family's here and I made it. And that's an amazing feeling. And there's so many stories like that with Peloton. Thanks to Aaron and Dr. Gray for being a part of our community and for taking part in sharing their stories and an important dialogue. A special thanks to our major funding partners for making all of this possible. The American Electric Power Foundation, Huntington, the L Brands Foundation, and Peggy and Richard Santulli. It's hard to believe we're at the end of season two of our podcast. We want to thank you for taking the time to listen and to share one goal. There have been so many inspiring and motivating stories from our community, and we're just getting started. With that, we're happy to announce the launch of season three coming February 15th, 2021. You've been listening to One Goal, a podcast from Pelotonia. Season two will be hosted by me, cancer survivor and chief operating officer of Pelotonia, Joe Apgar, with interview and production scheduling by our marketing and communications team duo, Emily Smith and Gabby Blauer. Produced, mixed, and sound designed at the studios of Wessler Media by Vince Tornero. Additional mastering by Joey Gerwin at Orange Judio. Special thank you to all of our guests for being so open and willing to share their stories. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast, as that will help others hear these empowering journeys. If you're curious about joining the Pelotonia community and making an impact on cancer research, please see the link in the episode notes or visit pelotonia.org. That's pelotonia.org. 